Hi everyone, welcome back to Behind the Timeline, the podcast where we examine pop culture in films, television, and books across the ages. As always, we are your hosts, Lindsay and Scott. If you're interested in finding out what we've already covered or what we've got coming up in the future weeks, be sure to leave us a follow on Instagram at Go Behind the Timeline. Check us out on Twitter at Behind Timeline and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Additionally, links to our Patreon and our official website can be found in the episode descriptions if you would like to support the podcast. And now, on with the show. Emotional roller coaster time. Don Bluth is back in the house. Dude, Don Bluth fucking like I said this yesterday, honestly, and I like I've I this has been in the back of my head since I realized this since I watched this movie, but Disney literally was so fucking stupid for letting him go. Definitely. Well, same with Lasseter, right? I think I said that in American Tale, that they have that in common, that Disney was like not here for their radical views and yet what teach children in a movie what (laughs) adult themes Ah. well they ditched lassiter for wanting to use computer animation in Mm. brave little toaster yeah and which is a creepy movie i just want to oh exceptionally so brave little toaster is also for the record toy story which is what john lassiter will go on to make at pixar He doesn't like people. He likes animating non-living things. He really does. (laughs) But, you know, it was a great story. Obviously, it worked for him. But it's not time to talk about Toy Story yet, Scott. It's time to talk about the land before time. This was like my... This honestly was like my childhood. I feel like I say that and then like it's not even close to what like it was for you. Because this scene, like you, like know all of these these sequels, and I, I don't fucking know any of them. Okay, yeah, I do want to start this out by saying that this is probably the first movie in the '80s and the first movie we've had since maybe like Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland. That I know it a lot better than you, I think, or if not a lot, like better. Like this was more my jam. Whereas a lot of this in the '80s, I'm like, what? I haven't even seen this movie. This means nothing to me. <laughs> um, but the Land Before Time. I, I would like to state for the record, uh, I love The Land Before Time. I love everything about it. I love everything about it. I've seen, in fact, in my research, I know that I, I told Scott yesterday or the day before, I said, I think I've only seen the first 10 or 11, right? Well, that was after we figured out how many. <laughs> how many, in fact, there are. Which how many discussed. there really are, yeah. The reality is, as I have done some more research, I do believe I have seen all of the Land Before Time films. Are you serious? That's so weird. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Which is fucking crazy because one of them came out in like 2018. But I'm like, no, I know this. I remember this. Like, That means you like willingly. (laughs) That means I sought out like the Land Before Time 14, which is I, I do think that I have seen all of them at this point. But the first 10 are the ones that I know well. But like I can bust out like lyrics like i know these movies i fucking love the land before time so i only remember big water like honestly i know i've seen like probably the first five or six but i honestly only remember miss uh the mysterious island and the reason i think the reason i remember that is because i fuck no i'm sorry i remember the second one because that's when we meet chomper yep two and five are the ones featuring chomper and the tv show has chomper as a series regular who lives in the great valley why? What? I don't know. Okay. It doesn't make any sense, but it's true. Chomper's the best character in all he the He totally is. 
Chomper to me is like you don't watch the you don't watch Bob's Burgers, but Chomper to me is regular size Rudy. He's like the greatest character that no one pays any attention to. Oh, no, no, no. Everybody knows Chomper. If you're like a Lamb Before Time person, Chomper is your favorite thing. <laughs> like, it's not obscure. Like, Chomper's a big deal. <laughs> There's a reason he's brought back for the TV show. Anyway, we weren't wrong is the main message of this. When we talked about <laughs> an American tale, we were correct that Don Bluth would be striking again with some super adult themes and messages oh for the God. children of 1988. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about this movie, Scott. <laughs> Dude, it it's Amblin Entertainment. It's Universal. Um, it's Spielberg and Lucas coming together to work with Don Bluth. And I think that like right there just showcases like, dude, we're gonna be seeing some like serious fucking shit right now. Yeah. It's really insane how involved Spielberg is in this. Like it's I a, know. It, and it says, and I think this might be one of the only things in film that says this a Spielberg and Lucas film. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I actually had no idea that it said that at the beginning. I mean, because I, I watched this when I was a kid. I didn't pay attention to that shit, but... But it's not like it's buried in the credits or you have to look at it to realize they're both involved. Like, this is, like, front and center. This is Spielberg, Lucas, and Bluth. Yeah, it's the first thing you actually see. It literally says, as it... First of all, I'm going to say this right out of the gate because this is something that I was very excited about because Lindsay made a comment about it and you guys know this is a huge deal to me. The score in this movie is top notch. So fire. it is. It is so fucking fire. And I'm gonna I'm gonna blow Lindsay's mind right here with some super awesome notes because I know how much she loves Spider Man. Um, this score was done by James Horner, who would go on to do not only Titanic, Avatar, and American Tale: Five Goes West, but also both amazing Spider Man movies. Wow. Yeah. I fucking well, love this dude. He's awesome. Yeah. But that's that's how this, like, you start off, you're seeing, like, a, a Spielberg Lucas film directed by Don Bluth. And then it just goes right into this, like, insanely accurate, just day-to-day life of animals during the Mesozoic era, which that's when this movie takes place. And this movie is, we're going to, I'll get into it when we get into the notes, but this movie is stupidly researched. Yeah, it is well-researched. And I would like to point out, just since you said that, um, while this movie begins, like the opening of this movie is underwater and it talks about evolution and, you know, it sort of shows like like littler, crappier creatures evolving yeah. into the dinosaurs. And like, it's that's how this movie opens. But I would like to take this opportunity to point out that every other Land Before Time movie opens in space. Just... Does it really? That's so fucking funny. Every single one. And they talk about like the Big Bang. And, like, just oh my God. Throwing it out there. But this movie is, like we said, this is made by like some real serious people with some real talent in it. And so while I will repeatedly reference the sequels because they are the, like an island of my personality has a little foot on it. <laughs> um, they are very different animals. Like the sequels are, we'll talk about them in a moment, but yeah, this movie is like, this one is really different from that, which comes after. And and I think that's what makes it so ironic and kind of funny that it's a Spielberg and Lucas film, because it's like the super hardcore team of like really professional filmmakers followed by 13 movies of just utter ridiculousness dude yeah absolute kids movies like to be clear you guys this is a kids movie 
with non-kid themes. Like this movie is a hundred percent designed to t- to teach you some serious shit. Yeah. So, who's in this? Yeah, kind of nobody, but um, it's pretty much a lot. It's a lot of kids, um, but it does feature Pat Hingle as the both the narrator and Ruder, who we'll discuss later. I like Ruder a lot. Ruder was dope. Yeah. And then all the kids were kids. We had Gabriel Damon as Littlefoot, Candy Houston as Sarah. And I'll point out a fun fact here, which is that Petrie is the only one of the kids to be voiced by an adult, which feels so yuck. That's weird. So, I know. And he has like the most baby he and yeah. Ducky anyway. Of, like, uh, and he's just... Anyway, we have Helen Shaver, however, as Littlefoot's mother, who's probably the most famous person yeah. in the acting cast. Um, and she was great. She was. So, I, I kept trying to figure out who she was. Like, she has that voice that if you haven't watched this in a while, you're like, I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. And then to me, it was like, oh, that's Littlefoot's mom. Right. Yeah, I'm a dumbass. She had a great voice, super recognizable. And she has her Mufasa moment later, and her voice yeah. totally fits it. And she, she was great in this. She was. What is this movie about? Lindsay, hit me with a plot because you wrote this and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take us through this. I did I did write us our plot summary for the land before time. After losing his mother and being separated from his other family by the great Earthshake, Littlefoot must learn to process his grief as he embarks on a dangerous journey to reach the Great Valley. Along the way, he and his dino friends are tasks with tasked with overcoming prejudice, introducing diversity and equity to the dinosaur world, and all while avoiding the devastating impacts of global warming. Is this too much to ask of a newborn long neck? Perhaps. But Don Bluth has assigned this task to Littlefoot. And if he cannot find a way, no one will. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So before we get into this, I do need to separate two very major features of this movie. Not features, but like a very huge misconception. This movie takes place in the middle of the Mesozoic era. Of its three periods, it was part of the Jurassic period. And during the Jurassic period is actually when Pangaea began to break apart. And that is actually what's occurring here, is the once singular continent is breaking apart with tectonic plate shifts and the movement of massive land land bodies. So... While it is funny and it is almost apropos of like issues today, it actually is not global warming that is causing all of these problems. It's just the shifting of the earth. Well, and I'll save my comments for when we get into this. But yes, I appreciate that research because I didn't look that up. I was like, Scott, I'll figure it out. Here's I will pose the question. You're welcome. <laughs> Dude, can I tell you what really annoyed me about this, though, was like I had to hunt this down. I like I... It says it was on Star. So, like, if you if you Google it, it says it's on Hulu, but it doesn't tell you that it's on the Stars addition to Hulu. Right. It actually was removed on Saturday. Yeah, I because I have Stars in order to watch Outlander, but um, that adds up. Totally right. So i <laughs> I was like, oh, cool, I have it. It's free. That's great. And then when I finished the movie, it was like leaving stars in five hours. And I was like, oh, shit, well, that lined up because I got to watch it for free. But apparently now you can stream this nowhere. But all of the movies are on Amazon to rent. Um, But my God, what an incredible waste of money, because 
while I'm unable to do this math off the top of my head, I imagine that four times 14 is a, a lot of money, right? Four times 14. Yeah. Holy shit, dude. That's like 50. That's almost $60 just yeah. for this entire, these, these entire films. Hardest pass. Yeah. I bet it, you could get it cheaper to buy it though. I bet you there's like a DVD dude, pack or something. You for probably like $18. could. Yeah. Like if you went and got them physically, not on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But in any case, to the, to timeline? the timeline, to the timeline, indeed. It's 1988 still. We're still here. However, and a big change from what the last couple things that we've been going through, uh, George H.W. Bush has now been elected president. Reagan is gone. It's true. Um, this actually blew my mind, but the first Walmart, uh, wow, the first Walmart opened in Washington, Missouri in 1988. That's when Walmart came out. That's insane. And it makes I me know, think right? of South Park. It seems like it should have been around for way longer than I our know. lifetime. I how know. is it? How is Walmart only as old as we are? Well, before that, we had like Kmart and shit. But um, and then Toni Morrison won the Pulitzer Prize for Beloved. Yeah, have you read Beloved? I have not. Have you? I have. Dude, you're um, so cultured. You know, <laughs> I do what I can. I have read Beloved. Beloved is very good uh, and notable. Um. So we, this movie received zero nominations. Unsurprising, honestly. It yeah. sucks, but it's unsurprising. Yep, that track's coming out the same year as Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Oliver and Company. And reminder that the Oscar for Best An Animated Film will not exist until 2002. So it's going to be a while before there's a lot of room for accolades on animated movies. However, this movie made a fuck ton of money. Oh, compared to what it cost? Yeah, dude. Holy shit. $84.5 million on a budget of just 12.3. Mm -hmm. That's insane. I believe it was the highest grossing animated film at the to the t at the time. Up oh, for the point. year? Yeah, that makes no, sense. No, I think like ever up to this point. I don't think anything is no. that kind of money. Has definitely it? not. No, definitely not. Remember okay. that um in Amer or not an American tale, but um Shit, we were just talking about this. Uh, the Great Mouse Detective only cost 11 and made over $100 million. Mm, Fair enough. Okay. Um, it's close, it, though. That's a shitload of money, especially for Amblin and Universal and it not being a Disney film. That's yeah. huge for them. Yeah, it's a ridiculous amount of money. They did really well. And so well, indeed, that there are 13 sequels in a TV show. <laughs> All of them musicals, many of them tolerable, the Land Before Time 7, The Stone of Cold Fire, features alien dinosaurs. I would not shit you. Um, and The Land Before Time 5, The Mysterious Island, is the best one, featuring the return of Chomper. 100% it is. Also, for those of you who are Jurassic Park fans, the villain in Mysterious Island is also the villain in Jurassic Park uh, Dominion. That's correct. The Gigantosaurus. That is correct. The Gigantosaurus does feature in The Land Before Time 5. Um, so I also would like a remake just stating for the record. 
I kind of would too, but here's the thing. I want it to be animated. I do not want a CG weird, because we already had that from Dinosaur back in 2000 from Disney. No, no, no. Like animated CG, like cute, yeah. cuddly CG. Not realistic, not hyper real CG, but like I would like a cute, cuddly CG of this. Yeah, I 100% agree. I'm I'm a thousand percent behind that. I mean, or fuck it, a super crazy live action one. You know, what Avatar is to Fern Gully. Oh my god, that's actually make, a really good point. Make the land before time, but have it be like that. Anyway. Anyway. To the to movie. To the movie? To the... production stuff i love your titles throughout these notes these are so fucking funny i do what i can um <laughs> this we kind of talked about this already we got bluth lucas spielberg what's interesting here is that lucas and spielberg wanted this to be like a fantasia where the dinosaurs don't talk and you can see Ugh. a lot of that uh vestigially in this movie i think i think you get a lot of that in the beginning of the movie like mm -hmm. as you know, like when we're going through like the swimming and stuff like that. And then we've got like Pat Hingle is like narrating a lot of stuff. It kind of does feel like it could potentially be just a, like a almost a documentary, like an animated documentary kind of. Yeah. And the way the like Littlefoot's egg rolling, like all of this seems like you can see where they were trying to do that. But Bluth was like, absolutely not like this need. This is a kid's movie. They need to talk. Yeah. So you can sense some of that change in some of the way it's done and the way some of the animation is done. But Spielberg, of course, said not enough. More dinosaurs, please. Yeah. Literally five years later. <laughs> I mean, and less than because of production, right? Like the, the oh, Jurassic yeah. Park came out about five years after this. But it really like the the gears must have been turning in Spielberg's head. <laughs> making this movie like more real giant t-rex <laughs> i mean to be fair michael Crichton's book didn't even get published until 1990 so i would imagine that the minute spielberg saw this he was like full stop this is it. yeah like, he, i wonder how fast after Crichton's book came out spielberg was like scoop that up more dinosaurs holy shit <laughs> Have you right that the book hadn't come out? Have you incidentally tangent, but have you read the Jurassic Park books? I have. Yeah, it scared the fuck out of me. Dude, they are. They're fucking hella scary. So scared reading Jurassic Park. Um, the score in this movie is insane. Do you want yeah. to talk more about that? I that's really my only comment is just that like it's fucking great. The one thing that I do want to point out here, um, is we're gonna start noticing and we kind of talked about it a little bit with the great mouse detective where professionals like Celine Dion will start singing the titular song. Yeah. in the credit or yeah, this, this song actually only appears in the credits. It does. It's sung by Diana Ross. And here's a, here's a really interesting thing about these movies is we'll go from this to an American tale Five Goes West, and then I don't think we're covering it, but there's another film called Thumbelina. We're not covering Thumbelina, and I don't have a desire to, but I know I don't either. Thumbelina. Yeah, yeah. so Thumbelina has arguably one of, and I'm I'm just saying this because I'm a romantic at heart, but it literally has one of the best songs for a first dance at a wedding. It's called Let Me Be Your Wings. 
Um, and it is actually, it's, it's insanely good. But then we get into the page master with, uh, Macaulay Culkin and Christopher Lloyd. And that has a song called whatever you imagine, but none of these songs play during the movie with the exception of let me be your wings because it's sung by the characters in Thumbelina. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting that we had this like <sighs> song from Diana Ross in this movie, and it is such a banger, but we don't hear it till like, <laughs> we don't hear it till the credits. And then yeah. every fucking movie after this for Land Before Time is a goddamn musical. <laughs> like a heart like hardcore all the way yeah. musical too, with bangers and like different genres. Oh, yeah. of Big water music. slaps. Yeah, it does. It, it genuinely does. <laughs> like, so good. So does Beyond the Mysterious Beyond. I don't think I've heard that one. Now I have to look that Beyond shit up. Beyond the Mysterious Beyond. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> I like the music in all the Land Before Time movies, but it, the score is really good here. Like it's it's super iconic. The music of Littlefoot's mom dying is really oh, good. Yeah. Like it's just super well done through the whole movie. And you know, Spielberg and Lucas, dude, they always come with good music. They do. There's never a time where they, which is, it's, I think that's another thing that's really interesting to me is up to this point, Spielberg and Lucas have almost exclusively used John Williams. Mm -hmm. And I think John Bluth was like, nah, bro. I think we're going with this like Horner guy. He helped me out on, on American tale and his shit was pretty solid. So check this out. And honestly, the number one song per the score that I remember from this is the um, the cello playing when Littlefoot and Sarah square up. And it's just oh, like, and I'm like, dude, this is fucking like, I would fight to this. Like oh, I would, totally. get, I would get into a fight with this song. It's like, so good. It, it's, it, is. it is wild actually that you say like that. It's not, uh john williams thank you yeah names um because you're right it's like spielberg and lucas were such a bigger deal than bluth was and it's funny that he got to make that call i wonder what that conversation looked like because you'd think that they would both have wanted john williams like the only thing like that really i could think is this was not as big an epic as indiana jones or et or star wars so i don't really think they would have been like john williams and his amazing like trumpets and drums would fit here. And then he's like, yo, check out James Horner. He'll go on to do Titanic, <laughs> which is also a great score. But I think it's it's interesting that Bluth is like still I think I think this is apropos of him being in the driver's seat finally. He gets to make these calls, he gets to make these shots. Spielberg and Lucas are just like, yeah, we'll like we'll help you get there. But he is like, dude, no one listened to me at Disney. Um, no one wanted to like follow along with the shit that I was trying to like do or help with in Disney. And now I have an opportunity to do all this shit. And I think that might be a huge part of why James Horner came in. Yeah. And he proved himself an American tale. And like, I think, th- I think that this actually does really go to show how, how impressed they must've been by him that, and you know, it's not like we don't get John Williams doing a dope dinosaur score later. You no, know. absolutely. We get Jurassic Park back. Holy shit. <laughs> I do really, though, like to kind of imagine some of the scenes, particularly from the sequels. With da, 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 but it's like them running around like covered in goop. <laughs> it's just something that happens in every Land Before Time movie is they get covered in goop. 
imagery wise this movie scared the shit out of me too when i was a kid yeah these are the ugliest dinosaurs ever huh like the it's it's a weird dichotomy in this movie because the animation looks good the style looks good like it's really beautiful and it's super ugly and like gritty and realistic and like these dinosaurs are so wrinkled and awful they are dude it's so it's so insane and like i think the first time that you notice it is when the egg snapper or the orthiomimus which actually is the villain in the second one. There's two of them, and they're egg it's snatchers. It's a struthiomimus, I think. Struthiomimus, right? you're right. Yes, I apologize. Struthiomimus, I got you. Um, it's because I know it from the song. This struthiomimus won't. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, right. Got, all right. He said, he knows his own name. The one he who's like a Kelsey Grammer type figure. Yeah, <laughs> like, dude, he knows who he is. The Doctor Fraser type. He honestly is the, the, the bad guy in movie two is what I'm he is. Well, and they're so they're egg snatchers. And that's the only part of that plot that doesn't make sense to me is like they want Chomper even after he's hatched. Oh, well, no, at that point, it's just about revenge. But anyway, well, back yeah, to what anyway, you were saying about right, the animation. Okay. No, anyway, <laughs> back to the animation. So when the Struthio mime is like when it shows and this is like a question I had to ask Lindsay, this leads into a question I had to ask Lindsay, but. They say, or Pat Hingle says during the voiceover as the film is opening that um, the the brontosaurus herd only had one child. Like, it only had one egg. But when we see his egg, it's surrounded by previously cracked eggs. But I went back and I watched this after you guys had said that. They are not fully cracked eggs. They are pierced eggs eggs meaning that something has gotten to those eggs yeah before they, they were hatched. Killed. so yeah. yeah all right okay so that i'm um, that i'm like all right oh, that makes sense but anyway my main point about the animation is when the struthiomimus grabs littlefoot's egg his arms are disgusting they're like covered in boils almost and they're bumpy and weird and like that and they look like nicodemus's arms from the rats of nim yeah it's they're uh Every every dinosaur in this is absolutely disgusting looking. Yeah. The only change I would have made because I honestly at the end of the day like it does it makes them look real and it makes you kind of like appreciate their design a little bit more. The only thing I would have changed is I don't like that the sharp teeth have regular eyes. I don't like that they don't have reptilian slits for eyes. Because he does when Sarah wakes him up and it makes him look that much more like villainous. But then every other time we see him, it's just red eyes with black pupils. Oh my God. I think they're terrifying all the time. No, I still think he's like right terrifying. Yeah. But like, I think it would have added to this, like, holy shit, dude. That's like the best. Cause I think doing them as pupils rather than the slits makes him a little too cartoony compared to everybody else being so well designed and shit. <sighs> But this that's just me. I'm just movies. Well, no, you're not wrong. But this is one of those movies where, unlike in American Tale, remember in American Tale, I was like, I don't care about the plot or the continuity of everything going on here. It's like <laughs> yeah. all a comment of by Don Bluth on something, and it's not related to the plot, right? Yeah. This is the fucking opposite, right? Land Before Time goes deep. So here's what I'll say: even though they had no intention of this when they animated the first film. Um, but if he had slits for eyes then, then there would be continuity issues later when we're shown when that the sharp don't. teeth do have like love and emotion and our characters. However, could we have Chomper if mm. they all had to have slits for eyes? 
So that's my answer to that because you know what? I've that's just fine. taken a complete 180 swing to where like so much of my childhood exists in the land before time that I'm just like, obviously because they are well, loving yeah, like creatures that are, just, they're not mindless beasts. They're like parents and children and brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, it's just, no, and that's the amount fine. of and bias I, I bring into these reviews is like so unforgivable. It really kind of is, but I'm fucking here for it, dude. Like I'm the same way with Star Wars, so like go off, dude. It's true, and I just pick and choose, you know, when I want to be critical <laughs> and when I'm like, yeah, but what about Chomper? Like when I like stick hard to continuity. So well, so here's the here's the only thing I'll say about it, and you do make a good point. Is yeah, it does help to humanize them in the sequels later. Yeah, but um, that was not the intention. But that was so not the intention. Yeah. I think they're scary enough is my serious comment on it. Honestly, that might have been too scary. Like this movie is fucking terrifying. Yeah, it makes me think of We're Back before Rex is intelligent and he does look scary as fuck with slits for eyes. And then he gets all he gets the brain grain and then he becomes like all cartoony and shit. God, that movie's so fucking good. Dude, yeah. Who made We're Back? Don Bluth. God, what a what a fucking awesome dude. What a hero. <laughs> um I think that honestly it might have been too scary if he had slits for eyes the whole uh, way. Yeah. The movie was already like that that T Rex was scary as fuck. Yeah, he was. And, and dude, honestly, the way he jumps, so he's not like a t- I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm like he's He's like got the agility of a raptor and the size of a gigantosaurus. And this thing is like the what's it called from the new Jurassic Park. Indominus. Yeah, that's what this motherfucker is. Like this thing is. Anyway, um, let's talk about what's going on in the setting. Yeah, the world. Or we talk will. about the characters. Because so you've clarified this a little bit that the reason there's so many earthquakes and that the world is like so fucked is that. It's the breaking of Pangea. So, yeah, yeah, basically. Um, The thing, the first thing that you pointed out, though, was like, uh, there's like this weird mammal thing that Ducky falls on when she's born. Yeah. And I, dude, I was like, are we just trying to like show that there's other animals around and shit? But I I did, honest to God, I did research it more. Um, And because this takes place in the Mesozoic era, there were numerous rodent-like mammals throughout that period, most notably an ancestor to the capybara and other similar animals such as the beaver, gopher, and the chipmunk, which is most likely something that it's a very similar animal to whatever ducky falls on. Mm -hmm. I do actually want to mention, though, that is the only hair covered mammal that we see the entire movie in this movie yes i believe i could be wrong please tweet at us if i'm wrong um but i believe that there are other mammals in the fourth one if i'm not mistaken that's what drives oh shit that's awesome Allie's family and the other long necks out of the the great the mist or whatever the land of mists i might i'm not positive i think that it's mammals that drive them out in the fourth one but uh but it that and that's obviously uh mammals survived the the meteor crash that killed the dinosaurs because they could burrow underground right yeah. i'm pretty sure please well, let me know I mean, if i'm wrong paleontologist no, no. Among us. <laughs> but i'm pretty sure that's how mammals like survived after that mass extinction and so i was like okay there's a mammal here like how close does that put us to mass extinction extinction like what's going on where are we and you're right it's the breakup of pangea i choose to believe that it's also probably a comment from from bluth on 
like global warming, but of course it wasn't. And it wasn't called that then, because the thing is, this is the late 80s. It so was just environmental scares and like issues and shit. If Yeah, it was like the, it was barely even a known thing, which makes me wonder if really that was the intention or is this actually just a movie about like the breakup of Pangea and dinosaurs and shit? Because maybe that's just something that I'm sort of placing on it because a lot of that environmentalism stuff hadn't like fully kicked in yet. But I don't know. I think Duth- Bluth might have been ahead of his time. I honestly think he might have just dude. And that's the thing. Like when we'll get into it, when we get into like, everyone has some kind of like mental health issue in this movie. Yeah. Which they do similar to Winnie the Pooh. Oh, big time. (laughs) Although I feel like Winnie the Pooh's is more like, they are the embodiment of those mental health things. Yeah. Winnie the Pooh is a lot more clear as well. It is very like, anyway, yeah, anywho. We gotta do a Pooh Bear extravaganza one day. I think we do. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I I would not be surprised if because Bluth is so huge on telling underlying stories and teaching lessons about shit, like holy crap, dude, we learned about all about what it was like to immigrate in an American tale. I know, and anti Semitism. Yeah. And like, there was so much co- and that's kind of why I think this too. I'm like, yeah, Bluth, you do have a message about climate change, don't you? He kinda has to. And I mean, obviously, we'll get that in Fern Gully eventually. You know what? You're right. Here's the thing that's like so weird about it, though, is they like imply heavily that there is just nothing to eat anywhere. And through the movie, we actually see that that's not true. There just isn't an abundance of food. Like for all of these herds to live together. Because like Spike is born and literally wake and bakes as soon as he the moment he comes prematurely out of his egg because Ducky forces him out, which is wrong. For real. Also, I do want to point out as far as like environmental stuff goes, we are also two years off of Captain Planet premiering. Oh, so, like, so yeah. you're right. It was like all about recycling and yeah. like, yeah, no, you know what it was now I'm all right. Sorry. Listeners took my brain a second to get there. <laughs> Um, this was kind of in the time where it wasn't really talking necessarily as much about global warming, but it was like pollution was a really bad issue uh, before all the regulations that stopped um, like dumping in rivers and polluting in the air and just like pollution was like a real problem. And it was like right when recycling was starting to pick up as a thing. That's, that's where we are right now in terms of like the global zeitgeist of environmentalism. That's what was going on in the eighties. I would not be surprised if we hadn't, if this wasn't some kind of slumbering message for the future in Mm -hmm. a way. I mean, to be fair, this, it does kind of give off this plaguish famine type kind of thing, because when we get to that part where they think they found the great Valley and it's like random circle of trees. And then the other brontosaurus just come out of fucking nowhere. It gives off that scene from Fantasia with the dinosaurs where after the meteor has hit and the dinosaurs are just dropping dead because there's nothing to eat. It, it, it does very much feel like that. And do not get me wrong guys. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but there is actually bonkers amounts of violence in this too. It's not as much as it wasn't Roger rabbit. I don't think we'll ever get to something as much as Roger rabbit, but the, if you pay close enough attention when the earth shake is occurring, 
and it makes these ripples in the ground it at those dinosaurs that are hit by that are dead oh yeah there's dinosaurs that fall to their death oh yeah you watch it it's it's crazy. like super brutal and they mention they specifically call it the clash of continents like the narrator calls it that yeah. i think and then um this stays consistent through the movies like most of the land before time movies the there will be some kind of sharp tooth antagonist but the big antagonist is typically something like physical that happens in nature. So in a lot of the movies, there's like a meteorite that falls and like in one of them, it blocks off the water source to the great Valley. And then there's a forest fire Um, in other ones. There's like rock slides that the kids cause and it lets the sharp teeth into the Valley. And the second one in the fifth one, they have, there's another, it's like locusts or something. There is at one point there's there's like um some kind of swarm or something like that where there's a plague of locusts and there's uh there's earthshakes earthshakes are what cut them off uh, from the land bridge that forced them onto Chumper's oh, Island yeah. in the fifth one like it's usually something like that and so it's pretty consistent that there will be like some kind of famine or flood or something that like drives them out of the Great Valley and like that's like half of the movies the ones that aren't <laughs> about like aliens or Clint Eastwood dinosaurs that show up <laughs> with like a message <laughs> um, but. A lot of these movies are about that, so it does stay consistent, which I like. The two themes that are consistent in The Land Before Time through all 14 films are climate change and racism. Yeah. Because we're just in, like, 14 movies later, they're just still doing, like, Don Bluth stuff. It's still about racism. So we're going to get into that shortly. Let's talk about the ways that this is similar to Winnie the Pooh, because each of these guys does have like an issue. It's not as well drawn out, but all these characters have like baggage. So let's talk about these characters now. I feel like we need to start with I'm saving Sarah for last because she pisses me off the most. Yeah, we'll talk about Sarah. Um, The one that we're I, th- I think we should start with is Spike because he has the least. And if memory serves me correctly, I believe he only ever talks one time and i think it's in mysterious island um i don't think it's in mysterious island i think it's in like the sixth or the seventh one he just yells ducky's name yeah he yells ducky and and like it wakes her up or saves her yeah yeah he's he's definitely the silent bob of this organization 100 percent ducky and spike or jane silent bob Spike is just, he's just hungry. I think if we were to put this in like that similar vein of a lot of people think that Winnie the Pooh represents the seven deadly sins, obviously Spike is just gluttony. He he just eats all day. That's yeah, it. Spike, Spike eats a lot. He's also something that I didn't put in the notes, but that is correct is Spike is nonverbal. So there's an element to that there where it's like, is Spike on the spectrum? Is Spike like, or is he just born prematurely because Ducky cracks him out of that egg and he never speaks. Um, but what Spike really is at his at his heart and core is just a fucking stoner. He so is. He's also abandoned. I do want to point this out because it, it kind of goes unsaid. He's either orphaned or he's abandoned. Yeah. Because his egg is just there surrounded there's no other eggs around them there's no nests anywhere there is very clearly no other stegosaurus there because that's what he is Mm -hmm. although it would be pretty dope if ruder was his dad but ruder wasn't a stego 
I know, but he uh, Spike doesn't have. I guess Spike doesn't have spikes on his tail, though. He just he's has a baby. The... No, Spike. Spike is canonically a Stegosaurus, and um, is like meets his Stegosaurus family in a later. Oh season. yeah, that's right. Okay, I remember he's having this scale. conversation. Yeah. Okay, so he does. Yeah, all right, that's right. I forgot he meets his family. Sorry very... again. In the land before time, I will live exclusively within the canon. No, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. And it well, and I remember you telling me that now because it reminded me of Muppets from Space when you find yes. out that Gonzo's an alien. Because doesn't it end with Spike's like, this is my family now and I'm going to stay here because I love Ducky and you fucks abandoned me. And that's basically what Gonzo does is he's like, I think so. I can't remember how that one ends. I just remember the really sad scene where you see the silhouette of Ducky and her mom both watching Spike leave with the Zegasauruses because Spike's so high he doesn't give a fuck. He's like, yeah. <laughs> Spike is 100% Silent Bob. That is the, that's the parallel I'm drawing. I'm sticking with it. He's just high as fuck and along for the ride. And here's my bet. Like, everyone kind of makes Spike out like he's an idiot, right? Like, that's kind of the joke. If you left Spike to his own devices, guaranteed he'd get to the Great Valley. He'd be oh, fine. a thousand percent. Yeah, I think he would have been totally okay. I don't think he would okay. any of this shit. I think he would have just cruised to the Great Valley and been fine. I also think he would have just gotten there in his own time. I don't think he would have been like, I've got to get there. Cause like if the kids had just helped him hatch and he like wandered off to just keep eating and they didn't, he didn't come with them. He would have just like ate in a line, right? Like he would have just kept following the food. And then eventually he would have been like, I smell green food. Yeah. Yeah. He would have just like followed his instincts and gotten to the great Valley. Yeah. Like it would have been fine. <laughs> Spike. So we, what we learned from this is Spike is the most self-sufficient. Absolutely. Spike needs the least amount of help. And he's always like, he just like shows up and does the thing that needs to happen. Like they need to get up to that tree star and Spike's like, here you go. Oh, he just lifts him up. Like, yeah. Okay. Spike's great. He takes care of business. Petrie pisses me off. Yeah. Petrie has kind of the fewest issues. He's just fear from inside out. Basically that character type. He has no confidence. He also was abandoned no, no, they're not. Petrie's not. A, so, so I'm sorry. I, I can't believe that I care this much about the Land Before Time canon. Spike is the only one who's like abandoned slash orphaned, right? I tend to think Spike was probably orphaned. Probably. And um, Petrie and all the others are separated by the Earthshake. So we'll talk about Littlefoot and his mom in a minute because that's going to take its whole own section of this conversation. But like... Littlefoot and and his mom and all of the other kids were separated from the rest of their families, including Littlefoot's grandparents, by the Earthshake and like the giant crevice. That's how they got split up. But but why Petrie's family doesn't fly over the crevice to get him, I can't explain. Like there is a little bit of an abandonment with Petrie. Like there's no reason they don't that, go back for him. None. I yeah. can't imagine. He was the only one of his siblings who couldn't fly. Um, I don't really understand. Unless they just couldn't find him. I don't know. Because when they ask, like, where's your family? He's like, they flew away. And I'm like, oh, okay. Couldn't someone have just made a U-turn real quick and been like, Petrie, get the fuck up. Like, let's, come on. I, I don't, that, he, also, he's the most annoying to me of all of them. He also screams a lot, which as a kid, like, that loud noise of him just being like, Wah! like, that shit scared me when I was a kid. Because, like, he is the one that presents the most danger to the viewer when shit is like getting real yeah he has the most near death experiences yeah he does fuck That's you right. sarah y yeah 
But yeah, he's mostly just, he's like, it's not even that he's like OCD. He has like wicked anxiety though. Yeah, he does. Like Petrie's really like in his own way. Um, Ducky. Yeah, tell me about Ducky. She's, She's a whole case of study in herself. Ducky's had some kind of psychotic break. Like, I honestly think when she got separated from the other big faces, which is the, what is what Ducky's oh, called big sometimes. Mouths. No, like in the second movie, they straight call them big faces. Like it's, but in this one, they're swimmers. It's honestly, I think big faces might be Sarah's dad's derogatory term. Dude, Sarah's dad is such a piece of shit. Yes. Like he's sending the, anyway, Ducky's had a total psychotic break. I think, I think when she got separated and she's like reverted to infancy, and she's massively codependent on Spike when she finds him. And to and to a lesser extent, Petrie in the sequels. They have kind of a romantic relationship almost. Like I feel like it's close. because they're the same size. Yeah, I agree. And I also kind of feel like there's like sparks flying between Littlefoot and Sarah. And I'm a little bit like, how does cross species like does this happen in the land before time? Because it so does it. Kind of indicating to me that that might be what happens when they grow up. Like they they strike me as like a Simba and Nala, like with a little bit more of an oppositional relationship. But like I would expect the flash forward of them in their early twenties to be them hooking up. And I'm a little bit confused. So we will talk. We have, like, a lot more to say about Littlefoot and Sarah, but briefly, I'll say that as far as everybody's issues, Littlefoot has depression. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. A thousand percent. I I think that Ducky probably has the most, and I'm just going by what I know of the sequels because... Doesn't she have, like, an actual full psychotic breakdown when Spike leaves? I don't remember exactly what her reaction to that looks like. I know that it's, like, really traumatic. Like, she she goes through a lot when that happened. That's actually one of the better, like, more emotional plot lines. It's one of the only movies where it's not about some kind of natural disaster. Right? Yeah, like, well, and then you get the one where, like, Littlefoot meets the other brontosaurus from the mist and then there's one where he meets his dad littlefoot's dad appears twice i believe and there's so there's when the there's journey through the mist which is no so there's okay so journey through the mist is the one where Allie, which is like his little love interest for a hot second comes in the the female baby bronto or child bronto and then um and then there's the lone dinosaur, which are the the no that one's called, that one's called the secret of Saurus Rock, where they meet the lone dinosaur. I can't remember what number that is. I think it's like five. No, five four. is a good one. No, it's not. It's it's like six. Oh shit. Or seven. Yeah. Um, and that's not his dad. That's the one who's like Clint Eastwood. That's the lone dinosaur. And then his dad is a different is in a different movie where they have like this like brontosaurus religious experience where they go and there's like an eclipse and the brontosaurus like believe that they've saved the world by holding up the sun because they all like they have like a migration of anyway and then there's another one where his dad comes again there's a lot in the land before time anyway yeah I, I apologize for my inability to stay focused on the movie we're reviewing. No, that's fine. I just think, <laughs> and it was a question I had when I was rewatching this, but um, I just thought it was weird that we don't even address him not having a dad. 
We don't address oh, Sarah sure, not yeah. having a mom. We don't address any of them having dual parents. I think it's because this world is supposed to be so brutal. Like we yeah. will talk about this much more in a second, but like Littlefoot being the last one of his herd, like they're in bad straits. Like the great beyond is like, or the mysterious beyond, the mysterious beyond, which is where they currently are before they reach the great Valley. Right. And then they all act like, Oh, we've never been out there. Like we didn't spend our whole lives there. <laughs> um, but the mysterious beyond is like a fucked up place. Right. So, um, I think life is just tough. I, but also all animated characters have only one parent until like 2017. So I think like... I guess that's fine. Like <laughs> it's legitimately in the last decade that we've seen multiple parents in animated films. So it kind of doesn't surprise me. And I do think it helps establish how fucked up this this world is, especially in the first one. And then later it's just like plot contrivance. Like it's never explained why Littlefoot's dad... I, th- I think maybe it's explained why he left, but after he comes back, he leaves again at the end of the movie, and that's not explained. Like, why he would further abandon Littlefoot. I think they do explain why he's not there in the beginning, though. He's like, I don't know, we'll talk about him a little bit, actually. What a dickhead. A little bit. But, um, but yeah, Littlefoot definitely struggles with depression. It's it's more of a situational depression after his mom's death. Like, so he gets a little bit better... Um, but he won't eat. He forgets all his goals. There's that scene where the little pterodactyl tries to feed him a cherry. Oh, I love that part. Fuck. It's so sad. I just love it because those dudes are cute. They are cute. They remind me of Fantasia. Yes. That they're taken straight from Fantasia. Which I don't know how they got away with. but And then Littlefoot starts to recover after, after the he scene. Makes friends. Well, not even just after he makes friends, but after the scene where they all fall asleep. And they initially all fall asleep with Sarah and Littlefoot's alone. And then they like slowly transition to sleeping with Littlefoot. And then they're all together. And he like gets better after that interaction. And it's also a really nice setup for like Littlefoot and Sarah's opposition and struggle throughout this movie for leadership that like the other three just sort of fluctuate between them. Uh, But I really like that scene where they all fall asleep together. I think a big part of it too is he starts meeting friends. I almost said people. He starts meeting friends um, where they have problems that he can focus on helping them with. So he doesn't focus on his like shit and it helps him come to terms with, I'm not the only one going through shit. I have like, we have to keep moving. Like we've got to keep going. And that's why he ends up like pushing them so hard is he's like, I know for a fact that this shit is out here, which I think it's interesting that we get this, this parallel of stubbornness between him and Sarah, because they both turn out to be right. And they both turn out to be wrong. Littlefoot was wrong that the sharp tooth was not dead. Right. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> and Sarah was wrong that that was not the way to the great Valley. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. They need to work together, which is the moral of the story. And, yeah, that's true. I hadn't really thought about that with, I mean, I thought about kind of them globally being wrong about Sharptooth, but less so like just Littlefoot versus Sarah. Yeah, they both had like pride they needed to put away. And like, and I think you're right that the mission helps bring Littlefoot out of it because he kind of forgets about that mission until he becomes a leader and has the opportunity to like help other people get to the Great Valley. Then he's, because for a minute, he's like really not motivated to do that. Yeah. Well, and then he's like, a lot of it kind of comes to a head when he meets Petrie because like he's really not doing much to help 
Ducky get over anything. He's just like, yeah, you can come with me. But Petrie's like, I can't fly. I'm afraid. I'm going to like sit on your head and shade you. And he's like, no, dude, like you're going to learn to fly right now. That's your fucking like, that's what you do. Yeah, let's go. What the fuck? Yeah. And like Spike obviously doesn't have anything to get over. He's just like, oh, we'll be your family. Sarah, I think is... I don't want to say Sarah is her own issues because a lot of what Sarah is, is a product of what her dad taught her. Yeah. Well, which is a, an entire plot point that goes on at length in the land before time, the stone of cold fire, I believe is the, the one um, where Sarah's dad has to learn that lesson and tells another, it's the one about bullying and he has to tell the other dinosaur parents whose kids are bullies he's like but if you only show your child anger it's all they'll know how to show to other children and like it's like this really on the news nose message about bullying. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like direct and yeah sarah's dad still does have that lesson left to learn like he but sarah absolutely has like an anger management issue and also oppositional defiant disorder absolutely like sarah's just having none of it she's there's She's no way so she could be wrong. Arrogant. Yeah. Dude, and later in the one I'm talking about, when they're trying to escape like a forest fire in the Great Valley, Sarah's dad takes them the wrong way. And Sarah's like, we're going the wrong way. And her her dad is like, fuck you, no, we're not. This is the right way. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, you guys both. <laughs> like, Dude, that's the fucking land before time I want to see, is them just yo, being like, fuck off, little foot. Like, you're not. I love the land before time movies. Dude, I want to watch these sequels now no don't watch like you have to pay for them that's the thing if i, I didn't have to pay for them i would have watched all of them in preparation for this I yeah. but no i wasn't gonna pay that kind of money <clears throat> um so let's talk about the last hope for the future littlefoot and his littlefoot his journey which i feel like is never technically over like yeah they get to the great valley and shit but i feel like he still has to be like i'm the one that holds this like friend group together because the parents didn't go on this transit ex- like transcendental experience of reforming their thought process like the kids just get there and the dad's like all right now cool come with me like whatever like you guys we all stay together i don't also understand why ducky's mom is like yeah that totally not swimmer dinosaur can live with us Oh, t- she's just like, okay. Yeah. Like, you, y'all you clearly have, like, a story to tell. Yeah, I don't, like- <laughs> that, like, I don't get that part. That was my only thing. But that, like, Littlefoot, I feel like, is the glue that keeps them together. And he is constantly, ha- he has to grow up super fast. Mm-hmm. He's all, I feel like this is the adult Bambi. This is Don Bluth's Bambi. It absolutely is. It's Bambi and it's the Lion King and it's somehow like more devastating than either of those movies because in this one, he actually has a conversation with his dying mother. Like it's, oh my God. And, and Littlefoot, it's, it's weird that he's, so we talked about this with the other eggs, right? Cause they say he's the last of their herd, the last hope for the future for their whole thing and like right. the whole dinosaur kingdom is up in here to see him born and it's a lot like simba and bambi in that regard too because everybody's there like it's the prince being born yeah and i actually i forgot about that too and was super confused why that was in there yeah and you know it is in fact uh answered 
in the land before time 10, the great long neck migration, where we find out that little next uh, little neck, little foot's dad is the leader of a big herd of long necks. And he's been like, not with them leading this herd for whatever reason. Right. And I'm like, maybe Littlefoot is like a prince, but I think that they're all there because he's the only egg and there's only the three of them, right. The two grandparents and the one single dinosaur mom, who's another single mom of the eighties, Littlefoot's mom out there fucking killing it. But yeah, he gets the whole like entourage for when he's born and he digs himself that little bed in his mom's back and it's so gross. <laughs> it was. I hate that part. I know. <laughs> it it's, it's so nasty. The imagery is so gross. Like, I will lizards. say this is, <clears throat> this is something that I do like about this movie is we don't get just small versions of big dinosaurs. He actually looks like a baby. He does in that initial scene and then later he's just like a little version i think that's not something we see a lot of it's usually just like oh that's a like Fivel's just a small version of his dad who isn't fat yeah right but, like, <laughs> but this it's like wow littlefoot actually looks like a newborn baby spike doesn't spike looks like that all the time spike came out ready to go spike's like been fully formed in that egg spike grew like three times the size the moment after he was born he kind of did yeah I mean, he comes out as big as Littlefoot. Well, he eats that, like, grass and, like, Popeye becomes enormous. And just is like, <laughs> all right, I'm good to go. Every time I see Spike now, I'm just going to be like, I'm just going to think of Silent Bob. Oh, my God, me too. Good Lord. So what I want to make clear to everyone is that Littlefoot's mom is 100% that bitch. Oh, dude, she's a bad bitch. Yo. I can't believe she... Takes him out in an, a very historically accurate moment where, like, T Rex would even Gigantosaurus, which I'm, I kind of feel like this thing is. I know it's not, I know it's canonically a T Rex, but it's huge. And they would not have fucked with a grown, like, any of those. Uh, what's the family of dinosaurs? Yeah, but they're not, most of them aren't actually brontosaurus, right? oh, brachiosaurus, brachiosaurus, and yeah whatever but all of those like long necks uh one of those i always forget like one of those actually isn't real and i think think it's it's brontosaurus i think it's brontosaurus is not actually a real dinosaur yeah i think that's not a thing they they, it's like changed it was debunked and i i don't know but one of one of the long necks and they would the t-rex would not fuck with a long neck it's true um, cause, cause they'd knock him out with their gigantic tail. And I, I love this fight. It's so scary. And then Littlefoot watching her die is like so bad. Can we talk about, and I, I mentioned this a lot when we talk about like villain deaths or just deaths in movies that we watch or animated deaths. We see enough in the shadow on the rock of what the sharp tooth does when he jumps on her back to know that she is so fucked. Again, she has a big slice later Bro, on her She neck. has a huge gash missing from the back from her back. Yeah. Like she was dead from the jump. Because that thing jumped on her like it was a raptor. Like he was so scary and that fight was gnarly and Littlefoot, like, you know, why do I need to remember you're gonna be with me? I'm like, yeah. what do you mean oh when I God. can't see you? I could always see you. And I'm like, Littlefoot, <laughs> stop, you're killing me. <laughs> like, oh my hell God. Up, kid. It's so sad. It's really, it's way worse than Bambi. 
Lion King was bad, but I don't know, man. I, I think the only reason Lion King was worse was because we got more time with Mufasa and Simba and they were both more yeah. likable. I think honestly, like I think the reason that this one is so bad though is because he gets to have a conversation with her. I think Bambi so too. doesn't he doesn't even he never even sees her again. Yeah, we don't even see her yeah. body in and the then movie. Lion King Yeah Simba watches his dad like fall to his death or whatever. And the closest thing we get to like that tragedy is like he goes up and tries to nuzzle with his dad. And he's like, holy shit, dude, like my dad's dead. But he never gets to have that conversation. Obviously, he has that Mufasa in the sky moment and shit, which implies that Mufasa was a god. Um, well, so we have that moment. We but do I have think, that here, too. Yeah. I think what the Lion King has that gives his death more weight, like, because obviously the Mufasa in the sky is later in the movie. Yeah. So the thing that happens earlier that gives weight to his death scene in the Lion King is the talk about the circle of life. And how, which is like, mentioned in this movie i want to point that out the circle of yes, life is talked about by Ruder, but long before the lion king was ever an idea i i just want that he only says it one time well and we're i'm gonna i'm gonna get to that in one sec um but that's where i think the lion where the weight comes in the lion king because he's already talked about that he will die one day and Simba will inherit this. And this is what this is going to look like. Like he sets that up of like, this is what will happen when I die. And they have the talk about death. So it's more impactful than Bambi because they discuss it, but it doesn't, it just is like a callback then when he's actually dead and you don't see him dying, but Littlefoot's mom and him have like a conversation and what Ruder says about the circle of life is, and there is a song much later in one of the sequels called the circle of life, which is not good, or it's a song about the circle of life. Um, but Ruder says the great circle of life, life has begun and not all of us arrive together in the end. And fuck is that worse than the lion King though? That's like a, Oh my God. I really liked Ruder as voiced by our narrator Pat to Hingle. come in and tell us yeah. that. I wish he'd been around more. Like it kind of, I don't know why it just like, it kind of blew my mind that he was like, Oh, this kid's mom is clearly dead. I'm going to leave now. Like what the fuck? <laughs> he just gives him some sage ass advice and is like, all right, peace. I like it. Cause he is like the narrator and he just shows up to like drop that wisdom on us and then yeah. disappear. I'm here for it. I guess. Fine. And besides, Ruder's probably like obviously a loner. Yeah, I can't believe that he abandons Littlefoot. That was kind of my issue with Ruder. It's like, oh, you've discovered like you understand enough now to know that this kid's like alone, and you're like, oh well, sucks to suck. Great circle of life. See you later. Like, oh my god. Are you feeling okay? Because I literally just said that. Oh, I did not hear you say that. Are you fuck okay? <laughs> I literally just said it blows my mind that Ruder gives him this sage advice and then is like, all right, peace. Well, right. Okay. So like, <laughs> yes. Like, but he just like, it's not even just that he walks away. It's just like how completely he abandons oh, him. Yeah, like, just, and it's like, like <laughs> not just that he's like, oh, I'm going to drop some advice on you. But like, just pointing out the fact that like, he puts it together. Little foot's alone and his, his mom is dead. Yeah. And he's like, well, this kid will be fine. He puts that together and then he's like, all right, bye. Like, it's so explicit. 
it's just it's really tough but Littlefoot learns a really good lesson the moment when he thinks that he sees his mom and it's his own shadow and oh, he like, that was sees rough. her in him but I'm like you're killing me Littlefoot dude he looks the stone and shit and I oh, oh it was so hard that part kind of like I was like come on dude like at this point you know that's not your mom the shit is like the same size as you let's have some fucking like common sense here I get you're grieving but holy fuck <laughs> It's well, but like he doesn't know he had death explained to him in like the one second before she actually died. And she, it, who knows, you know? I do think it's interesting that that is like, here's the thing we don't know how long this journey is. Like, we don't know how long that they've been traveling before she dies. But it is definitely apparent that she has never had the death conversation with him. And, yeah. I mean, and you see that because he's pissed when he meets Ruder. He's like, why did she have to die? She should have known better. And in my head, I'm like, oh, dude. Fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, that's really brutal. It's really tough. It's like, man, Don Bluth, why you gotta do this to us? Like, this is the, like, low-key worst parent death in all of animation. I kind of feel like it is. And again, I'm just going to keep saying it because I do feel like this, this overshadows Bambi and Lion King in such a massive way is because he has this conversation with her and he is with her when she dies. And I, I think that is like compared to Simba who was just like, and it's over and Bambi who was just like, I can't even see her anymore. He literally watches the light of life leave her and then he's like but now here's probably what i think is like the hardest thing for him to have done is he has to leave her body there oh for real he, he just has, has to, to walk, walk away. away from her yeah yeah whereas bambi doesn't ever see his mom's body despite like that viral image of them together that's not real we talked about when we reviewed it yeah it's not in the movie um and simba obviously is driven away by he's, scar yeah he's told to leave yeah, well, he's chased well, he's, by hyenas yeah, I mean, out of the Pride Lands. <laughs> <laughs> like, but Littlefoot, yeah, he just has to go on on this journey. And so getting his friends really gives him the strength of like something to live for, right? Something to push forward for to like keep them safe and keep this group together. And they have such a like, what I really remember about this from when I was a kid is how well this movie imparted on me their very real danger. The fact that they have no, like the animation does this for you, no food or water, super, super crystal, right? That they are like in dire straits and that they managed to survive as a crew together. And then they get back and it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're going to go back to our families now, but we're like adults now. We've like seen shit. You can't take that back we we have to like choose our own adventure and run our shit which is why in the sequels when they're always running off and disobeying their parents i'm like are you shitting me after what they went through they're fine like they i remember that viscerally as a kid and you know what it reminds me of uh i don't know that you ever watched this but it reminds me a lot of the hundred on the cw i didn't watch it i'm told it's really good it's so good dude and like when the parents do eventually arrive like from space onto earth because that's the whole thing it's like the kids alone the hundred kids alone on earth right and the, the parents come back down from like the space station and try to take control of the situation and clark and bellamy are like suck a dick like we're in charge 
You have no idea what we've been through. This is yet again another portion of the podcast where Lindsay uses it to plug another show. For real, though, Clark and Bellamy are my, like my number one ship. I love Clark and Bellamy. They never hook up on the show, but it's okay, listeners. They're married in real life. Thank God. That was my next question. Well, that's why it's so hot the whole time. It's like, how are we ignoring this chemistry? It's because it's like so real. It's undeniable on the screen. <laughs> anyway, it reminds me a lot of that. And I remember that as a kid being like, no, these guys have like been through shit. They are beholden to no one. You don't get to tell them what to do. I, yeah. So that's what I really remember from this like <laughs> And but Littlefoot brings them through all of these trials and tribulations, right? And the whole thing is the reason that it's challenging, right? Is this underlying theme of racism throughout all of the land before time, like in every movie? Because three horns never play with long necks, Scott. If you didn't know, I, I, I mean, it wasn't really driven home that much um, until the whole movie started, but. Yeah, like yeah, it's uh, it's kind of wild. It's all over the place, and even like Littlefoot's mom was totally racist, right? I should. And this is me just like picking and choosing because she seems to have such a like good head on her shoulders, long shoulders, um, <laughs> on her long neck. Yeah, on her long neck. But she <laughs> um, for some reason, she does go along with it. But I feel like that's because the societal norm was that she doesn't do it because she doesn't want him to play with Sarah. She actually kind of gives off this vibe that she doesn't really give a shit. I think it's more, she's getting him out of the situation where it very clearly was Sarah's dad was going to fucking kill him. Oh yeah, for sure. Sarah's dad was like, you are not coming anywhere near my kid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Such an asshole. And there's this whole thing of like, where Littlefoot has to learn what he is. Yeah. What's a like, long it's neck? This, yeah. Well, and it's like a conversation that I think like a lot of kids in the real world have, right? Yeah. About race and racism as they get older. And I know these are conversations that, you know, people of color talk to their kids about. Like, that's a real thing. Um, I can't speak to that personally, obviously, but oh, it really yeah. reminded me of like stuff you see in the real world Littlefoot has to learn as they say it what he is right what his species is and why he's not allowed to play with Sarah and his mom says we all stick to our own kind because we're different and it's always been this way and I'm like oh my god yeah (laughs) like it's just laid out it's like well we're different so we can't interact with each other and then the whole story is like them they only succeed in taking out the t-rex which is like so ballsy yeah it uh, is. because they each use their own strengths and they're they like play to their strengths and the ways that it's good that they're different to work together to be successful and like the themes of this movie are not uh subtle they're not that subtle yeah no. <laughs> well this is the other thing that kind of like blows my mind it only seems to be that way between Sarah's dad and everyone else. Always in every movie. Yeah. Like the rest of them are just kind of like, dude, I remember for a fact that Ducky's mom is like, what should we do when the wall comes down in the second one? And they're like collectively as a unit trying to figure it out. Yeah, they are at that point. And it's funny. It's like, but Sarah's dad's like, fuck you guys. Like, we're living bulldozers. We'll fix it. In, um, 
I think maybe even in the in the sixth one, I think, in the time of great giving, I believe it is. Um, I could be wrong. But there is mention in one of the movies of them all traveling together. Like all the adults had like a similar journey to the kids where they had to like work together to get to the Great Valley. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, and I think that takes away from like, I don't like that. It's not my favorite retcon. Like it's supposed to be unique that the kids did this. Well, yeah. And then they come to the Valley and they teach everyone else how to do that. Yeah, which we also see. So it's one of those like later like retconny things or like both things. It's it's Schrodinger's... uh, Schrodinger's Great Valley. Yeah, it is totally. (laughs) There is no Great Valley. There's always a Great Valley. There is, yeah. (laughs) But they they do have to kind of like, they're surprised by the kids and they're like, the kids set the example for them all to work together. Yeah. And, but it is usually Littlefoot's dad. Like once everyone else is kind of, I'm sorry, Sarah's dad. Uh, causing trouble because once everyone does kind of figure out how to work together like through the later sequels it is usually sarah's dad who's like being oppositionally defiant to the rest of the group like like she does like just he hates when new people come into town and it's like a this it's this and it's the environmentalism stuff that's like like because there's always a natural disaster and there's always some kind of discrimination happening and I mean, it's just like teaches inclusivity to kids throughout. Yeah, all the it's movies, very right? formulaic those... until you get annoying characters like the fucking dolphin. The dolphin's annoying and so are Sarah's uh, niece and nephew. Oh, yeah. There's a blue one and a pink one. I remember now. They're well, they're like both. Blue. No, they're like, like slightly different something. shade of blue or something. Yeah, because none of them can be super colorful because they stick to this like almost realism depressing like (laughs) color palette that bluth uses well and that's the other thing that's like weird to me like sarah and sarah's dad and their whole herd are black with gray shields but sarah's like pink sarah's yellow yellow okay so is she supposed to like develop darker scales or what the fuck like, honestly i think they were just differentiating differentiating her because little finger geez, wow jesus <laughs> little foot little finger i'm like half of my brain is like trying to do something like more <laughs> like a different story my name is little foot and i am the leader of the veil you will take me back right now <laughs> chaos is a ladder <laughs> oh my god oh my god so my brain's still totally functioning so Littlefoot is already like that gray color and then ducky and spike are both green and petrie's kind of red so i think they're just trying yeah yeah, i think they're just trying to differentiate her from Littlefoot. the infinity stones of dinosaurs absolutely except like with like muted colors yeah with very very boring back they try to brighten it later they make littlefoot a little bit purple chompers like a nice purplish color so that's what i don't remember like in the first time we meet chomper in the second one he's purple but then in the mysterious island he's weirdly more bluish He's purple-ish. They yeah. get the only character that they ever make like really super bright, which is weird because it's like it's a, he made thirteen direct to VHS sequels. It's okay to change things up a little bit, yeah, like, for real. But they don't. They keep the color palette from the original movie for the most part. They brighten it up a bit, but they mostly keep it. And the only characters that 
are super brightly colored are like the aliens, the rainbow faces are a little bit bright and the dolphin is like super bright colors. But for the most part, other than that, everything keeps this kind of realistic browns and greens and yellows color palette. And it's like, yo, why? <laughs> like, <laughs> Get some goddamn dinosaur variety in here. It's like 20 years since the original movie and they're still making these direct to DVD. And it's like, you guys can do whatever you want, you know? Don Bluth is dead. Like, you can uh, you can move on now. But I get it. Like, it's whatever. You want it to be as almost realistic as possible. And then it's like, well, they migrated like this and they did this. And for a movie that, that is so well-researched, we're getting so off topic right now, but for a movie that is so well-researched, it blows my mind that there's an alien movie. Like, I did not know that until the time of this recording. <laughs> yeah, in the end, the two rainbow faces, like, get beamed up. What the they, literal fuck? I'm not kidding. <laughs> and, they, and they sing Beyond the Mysterious Beyond, which is them being like, we've been all over this fucking planet because we fly around it in our spaceship and there's so much more going on than the Great Valley. Y'all don't even know. And it's like... <laughs> their whole story they and then they get beamed up in the end by their spaceship like it is Dude, insane it's, it's the land before witch mountain yo for real though it, like, it's, <laughs> i love the land before time sequels they're so ridiculous dude i'm honestly kind of blown away that they haven't met like a homo sapien at this point no, I think that's probably jumping the shark even too much for them. I think it is, yeah. Also, nobody's fun, here but... to see a person. That's the other thing. Well, nobody's yeah. here to see mammals. We're here to see fucking dinosaurs. Case in point. I mean, and this was like the probably one of the first real dinosaur. It's certainly the first like animated dinosaur movie. And I mean, the other dinosaur movies that existed before this were like probably a king kong well there were like shitty like lost or uh the lost yeah lost world um journey to the center of the earth shit but like those that. were like claymation yeah like you know motion stop or whatever it is like and i'm sure they were cool in you know the 40s when they were made and stuff but yeah this would have been like, this was the start of something. They didn't want to see any Homo sapiens. We want dinos. Look what Steven Spielberg did after he got a taste I of know. it. I know. That's that's actually a good point. People are here for this shit. And I want to take this moment as we come to kind of the the end of what we really have to say about this. Um, I want to take this moment to plug David Attenborough's upcoming prehistoric planet on Apple TV+. Plus. You guys, yeah. if you have not seen the trailer for this, it, now is your moment. Like, this is going to be so... <laughs> lit up i cannot wait to watch this i have it on my calendar it's coming out like in two weeks from now like somewhere in the middle of may i yo scott <laughs> if you don't watch this i'm gonna be i'm gonna watch it i'm mad at you. gonna fucking watch it chill i got you yeah i will be raging if you don't watch this one so like i scott for the record guys is has is not like an attenborough fan He's yeah like never we've seen it. been over this yeah like it's I'm not, criminal I, apparently do you know what's criminal? criminal and i'm gonna ask you this question real quick uh before we start getting out of here with ratings and shit but because we are both very clearly such 90s kids and such huge dinosaur fans have you ever seen or heard of a three movie series called prehysteria no oh my god sounds awful dude it's these kids find baby dinosaurs which are 
done by puppets, but they look real. And it's all these random misadventures that these dinosaurs go on. I used to watch the second one so fucking much because, and Lindsay makes fun of me for being a nerd for film scores, whatever. I'm going to give her more ammunition right now. I <laughs> love, I loved model trains when I was a kid and I fucking love them now. Nerd. And That's cool. I know it is very That's cool. That's like a cool nerd thing. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. You guys heard it here live recorded. I'm, I'm cool. Um, <laughs> but in the second one, they accidentally get stuck inside a giant, crate of raisins that gets sent to this rich kid's house and the rich kid has a fuckload of trains in the attic and it's the movies are really bad but they're also really good and they were a part of my childhood and i'm kind of blown away that you've never seen them no i've never even i've i have not even heard of this dude they're so they're so atypically 90s (laughs) it's it's so insane holy shit i will well okay we'll see if that exists around in the in the world for me to stream i also want to point out while we're talking about dinosaurs how fucking stoked i am for jurassic park 6 so jurassic so furious so jurassic so furious as i'm now calling it yeah and i feel like that's what we have to call it and honestly me this movie you guys i can't fucking can you believe the jurassic park 6 so jurassic so furious is going to be our first jurassic park movie that we review it is actually due to its appearance in the timeline as a real movie because we'll be stepping out of the timeline to do it Anyway, Lindsay, for for being the resident land before time uh, aficionado, what did, what do you actually like? I I want you to be as biased but unbiased as you possibly can. What would you I mean, honestly give this movie? It's so hard for me because like if I'm just like fully leaning into like like if you asked me before I rewatched before you know what I mean like not even thinking about it just like how do I feel about the land before time. I turned the land before time up to 11. I fucking love the land before time. <laughs> like, But <laughs> in an attempt to um, not be completely unreasonable, because this should not be an 11, I'm going to give this objectively a 7 out of 10. I feel like that might still even be a little high. It Maybe it's too low. I don't know. I can't tell, folks. I don't know. Because my heart wants this to be an 11, and my brain is like, do you really think this movie is an 11? And I'm like, it's not. I just don't, I don't know. So I was like thinking seven. I don't know, guys. I don't think, I, I again go back to Cinderella, which I think I gave like an 8.5. I don't think this is better than that. I kind of have that as my benchmark right now of like how I'm thinking about animated movies. And I feel like it has to be at least as good as Cinderella to be in the eights. And this is not, Um, but I don't know. My heart wants it to be an 11. What did you give it, Scott? I think you're allowed to have that like gap there too. Like that just or, like, like setting up that like bridge of nostalgia and your part of your childhood that gets it to that like higher rating. I think that's fine. Yeah, because that has nothing to do with how good the movie actually is and everything to do with <laughs> with just you. Yeah. Just maybe just <laughs> with like like the times that I had around the land before time, you know, playing land before time and watching it and singing it and like the amount of hilarity that we got out of like aging up and having these movies still be coming oh, out and you're like in around. middle school and it's like, yo, but Land Before Time 11 came out. Should we watch it? We're like, yeah. Like, 
So I can't separate from that, but you go on. No, I will go on. I honestly have to give this a seven out of 10 as well. At, at the end of the day, like, yeah, this, this movie was huge in my childhood. I loved this movie when I was a kid. I rent, I couldn't wait to go to Blockbuster and rent this again or rent Mysterious Island, which is, it's really funny to me because I just loved Sharp Teeth. So when I found out that the direct sequel was all about them finding a baby sharp tooth and then the mysterious island was that baby sharp tooth coming back, those were the only two I ever rented. So there's a really good chance that I have not seen any of the other sequels. Oh, we own all of them. Dude, I did I see I didn't own them. I only own the first one. Came out to DVD, it was like a new Harry Potter release. I was like at Blockbuster, like, I would like to purchase this, please. Like it was we own that shit. <laughs> if i'd like to purchase this please jesus christ <laughs> i'd like to own this in my home land <laughs> before time six the time of great giving i would like to have it available at all times please the guy at blockbuster's like i don't fucking care kid just give me, the, <laughs> give me the money and get out of here and you're like do you know that little foot shut up get out of here fuck like no <laughs> like, i actually like re-watching this like it makes me want to get all of them on DVD. There has to be some like mega pack somewhere. So I'm going to look it up when we get out of here. Um, my big, honestly, like the biggest thing that, that does not allow me to give this any higher is while the sharp tooth in this is probably the scariest one we've ever had in any of the land before time movies, the ease with which they defeat him is so dumb to me yeah dropping rocks on the head of a sharp tooth in order to win the day is something that happens often in the land before time and no more ridiculously than here and just the idea of like oh sharp tooth he's still around well instead of like being on high alert and just trying to get the fuck out of here let's like actively pursue him that is insane to me uh they were so lucky that they got away with that they absolutely should have been killed so here's the other bonkers thing about that entire fight it does work and then it doesn't work because if you want if you watch their plan is to drop the rock on his head and it will make him fall forward into the bottomless pond yeah. that, inexplicably <laughs> that they find. Is right there yeah um but here's it's, the <laughs> reminds me of something out of tomb raider yeah exactly that's actually like, exactly what i was thinking underground cave in there oh yeah find treasure and there's definitely a lever you have to pull to, to help you get out of that but here's where the the it just falls apart and i don't know if this was like an editing mistake or it just like was poor continuity at one point right before sarah shows up petrie is flying around the sharp tooth's head to distract him long enough to keep his head right where the boulder is going to fall and then you hear sarah give her like annoying little charge or whatever and then it pans over and she's running at the rock and then immediately the sharp tooth is just on top of the rock they're trying to push he's no longer below them he's just now on the rock yeah there are a couple examples of that in this movie where there's some weird scene continuity yeah and there are also uh, a number of deleted scenes from the land before time that were made that are you were serious animated. dude that's yeah, amazing dude. Some of them were animated, some were not, and there's scripts and like rumors of them and stuff, like in the in like the LBT Fuck community, yeah, dude. which is the thing that exists. Um, 
Yeah, there. So some of it is explained by that, but I think that the scenes where there's like deleted scenes and stuff is actually earlier in the Sarah and Littlefoot T Rex chase in the beginning of the movie. So, but there's a lot of that happening here. You're not wrong. Like there's just continuity errors where they just because they cut this movie up like crazy. It's yeah. so short. It's under an hour, I think. It was an hour and nine minutes. An hour and nine. Yeah. So, and you know, a lot of that is uh, what's her name? Names. Sorry. Sarah. singing the song oh uh diana ross thank you <laughs> um god help me i'm sorry everyone yeah those credits <laughs> are actually really long too i didn't realize that yeah <laughs> like runtime i think this thing might be less like it might be right at the hour yeah, it probably is like right at the hour <laughs> that's so funny yeah so it's it's they cut a bunch of things up but yeah i agree a lot of that sharp tooth stuff was weird he can also teleport. I don't know if you picked up on this, but when yeah. Ducky is sent to go get him and he's deep into the cave that she follows him in, she screams and then he turns around and he's like, where the fuck was that? And then she looks up to follow him and he's now gone. And then immediately when she turns around, he's right there at the entrance to the cave. Like, I get it. It's dramatic and it's supposed to be scary, but he's fucking massive. There's no way that he got behind her without her noticing. And why announce yourself? This is a problem I have with a lot of movies and villains that have clear. And oh, my God, if you guys listen to the Halloween episode, you would have heard me rant about this with Pennywise. He has Ducky dead to rights. All he has to do is fucking lower his face and kill her. But instead, he's like, what up? And I'm like, bro, come on. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, that, she should be dead. I'm sorry. I know everybody almost loves Ducky, but she should 100% be dead. I don't know. Ducky. Well, I liked Ducky because she was like the feminine one, right? Because Sarah's yes. kind of the worst, right? Like, Sarah that was is. like always a terrible person. She wasn't really someone you wanted to emulate. Like, she was definitely a female character. Oh, and yeah. She was. I mean, in a lot of ways, but she was not a female role model. I liked Ducky because she was the girl that wasn't the worst. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, I'm looking at the timeline and she is our last bully of the 80s. Sarah. Yeah. Yeah, Sarah is totally a bully. We didn't talk about her abandonment of uh, Petrie in that moment. Oh my God. Fuck. Yeah. So I'm going to lay this down real quick for you guys. Sarah is a, Sarah is almost an accomplice to, to murder. Yeah, like, like she's, she maybe like, belongs she, in the yeah. villain discussion here, actually. Legitimately. Her obstinance. And her... No. <laughs> Just complete aloofness. Not only does he, like, he's on her back, but he tells her before she jumps that he is not secure. Um, And then when she jumps, yeah. he just falls right into the tar pit. And what does Sarah do? You might as well think she's deaf. She just literally walks away. Like, not yeah. only from Petrie, who is now about to drown in tar, he sh or she straight up leaves Ducky and Spike, who are surrounded by lava. Like, and then, but honestly, like, I don't put her in the villain category because she then gets her comeuppance with two of the, or there's like, she gets ambushed by those three other uh, battering ram dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. in the cave so she does technically almost die too so that's the only well, thing that saves her from through... the category yeah i mean i think sarah like sarah doesn't get nobody really comes up to her later and is like yo you were a nightmare through this whole fucking thing we don't want to be friends with you anymore <laughs> yeah, like real. you almost caused us all to die we're so lucky little foot 
was back. able to catch yeah. us because he went the well Littlefoot didn't even go back Littlefoot like was like fine um like because they all say we're gonna go the easy way which is like the lesson they teach there right yeah and Littlefoot's like no I'm gonna keep going west and following the great circle past the mountains that burn and <laughs> and um but he's still on his path like they ultimately are still trying to go the same way they were just trying to take an easier route yeah. And so Littlefoot is like on the safe path above them looking down and like, what the fuck did you guys manage to do? And then he goes down and tries to sort it for them. But yeah, Sarah doesn't even have a moment there where it's like she has to choose between her or them or putting herself at risk. Like she doesn't really have like a moment of conflict. She just is like, fuck you and keeps yeah. going. And, and she it never, comes never up again. gets come up. And no, they just let her like she just has like the natural consequences of her actions. Right. Which is that she almost dies. And well, then, yeah, and then they scare the shit out of her as the tar monster thing. Yeah, and they just are like, it's fine. We're all going to be friends forever. Like, we're a herd. Get yeah, in here. Let's go. They're like, ha like, friendship. It's, like, kind of beautiful, but also, like, Sarah really deserved, like, more yeah. consequence than that. So I kind of do think it's appropriate to talk about her with villains. But I am anyway. Gonna, I'm going to ask one question. I'm going to take us out of here with a question. Okay. It, Did you rate the T Rex though before you asked this question? Yeah, I, I put him in as like a five because he's scary, but he doesn't really have. He's a plot device. He's not like integral not to the. Yeah, he, you don't even get any kind of like until they get subtitles in Mysterious Island, which is ridiculous. I love the <laughs> T Rex subtitles in Mysterious <laughs> Island. Is everything? I just goddamn it. The labor four time is so great, dude. Started yeah. up to 11. Until then, I'm not doing it. I'm saving my 11s. I'm pro- honestly, dude, I I fully <laughs> anticipate mom or Doctor Strange mom being a, an 11 for me. I don't like that calling it that. Okay. <laughs> that sounds multiverse so... of madness. Uh, no, I'll do what I did that pissed you off last time. Madness of the multiverse. Yeah, just call it madness of the multiverse. <laughs> That's fine. Call it the multiverse of Maelstrom. The mount. Ma- yeah. Um, Doctor Strange mom is just like I can't. It's Doctor Strange's mom. It's too weird. Um, I'm going to leave you with this question and then let you take us out of here. But if the big ass dinosaurs like the Brachiosaurus and like all of the big mouths and shit could get into the Great Valley, why can't the sharp teeth? It's one of the great plot holes of the land before time because we see the kids come into the valley through the little through tunnel. Giant, the fucking tunnel the size of them. That makes sense. I'm behind that. That's Absolutely. totally fine. Yeah, they come through like a crevice and get through. Uh, how the adult dinosaurs can get through and not the sharp teeth. The sharp teeth. I have no fucking idea. Sharp teeth get into the valley in the second one because the kids knocked out. They create like a rock slide. Um, when they're disobeying their parents. But they, the adults, like, fill the hole again later. And yeah. it's super unclear if they, like, did they, like, break through in a way that T-Rex would be unable to for whatever reason? I mean, I could see that potentially, like, working together and then reseal the hole. Like, I don't think that actually yeah, makes any fucking sense. I, don't... I think it's just a plot hole. It, I feel like it has to be, right? I think so. And then all the sharp teeth... Uh, Chomper's parents, notwithstanding, are like exiled to the mysterious beyond, and their life is shit. And it's just like, man, you just wish the planet could be okay. You know, you wish we could just like take care of global warming because then everyone could live in like equal equilibrium and harmony. But instead, 
It's like only the good dinosaurs that get like there's a lot of social issues in the land before time. Like how come they lock everybody else out? Like how could yeah. anyone else get in? You know, whole hot uh, uh, herds of like <laughs> oh Jesus, whole herds of Brachiosaur come through in later movies like without a problem without an Valley. issue, right? Yeah. Like why wouldn't the sharp? De- are there ever raptors? Yes, there are raptors that attack in like. I don't know which movie, dude. <laughs> I, so I honestly good. like. I do want to. I I'm a hundred percent serious. I'm going to be looking for the like a mega pack of these movies. Dude, you would be so unhappy. You know, they're all ninety minutes after this. Like it's like it's a long. It'll take you days to watch all of them before fine. time, and your brain will melt by the end of it. Like it's I'll not. Watch, I'll watch them <laughs> while I'm uh, while I'm moving. I'll just have them on in the background. Oh Scott, God. can you help me lift this? Hold on, Littlefoot's in danger. Littlefoot's always in danger. They're always crossing something. And then at one point they call that out. There's like one of the much later movies where they're like, no, every time that we have to cross like a (laughs) law thing or whatever, like we always end up in the shit, Littlefoot. I don't want to go across this like vine bridge or whatever it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Go ahead and take us out of here. Let everybody know what's coming with season two. Oh my god. So we will be having the one more episode of season two, which will be um, sometime in the middle of next week once I have a chance to get to it. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And my epic weekend plans will be delaying that release. So it'll be a little more than a week before we're back with you guys. And then after that, we will be covering exclusively the boys through June. We're going to take a little bit of a break so everyone can get their ish together. And then we will be covering the boys through june and then coming back into the timeline but make sure that you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts follow us on social media you can find the links for our sites and social media in the episode description and if you want to support the podcast you can check us out on patreon or on our website for all the timeline goodies past present and future and until next time stay nerdy